That's right. Ho, ho, ho. Welcome back, everyone, to the Silver Screen Podcast. It's Christmas! Noddy Holder is opening up the royalty checks. Roy Wood has awoken from hibernation. And Mariah Carey has officially seen her shadow. And if you haven't lost Whamageddon yet, oops, I've just brought it up. (laughs) Never mind. So... Uh, this is going to be a very special Christmas special episode of the Silver Screen Podcast, similar-ish to what we did last year. Um, if you aren't aware, last year, myself and DK, who became my co-host after that, um, we reviewed Die Hard. This year, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to make a bit of a Christmas party out of it, um, because we're reviewing the movie, first of all, Gremlins. Uh, we'll debate back and forth whether it's a Christmas movie or not. It is. Uh, and then uh, we're also going to do some fun things because uh, it, it's kind of a cult episode as well. And uh, if you've been keeping up with our silver screen cult classics that DK has heroically taken on, uh, we tend to throw just a couple of random quizzes and stuff in there as well. So, uh, yeah, it'll be hopefully a party atmosphere and we'll all have fun and there'll be more to this than just a review of Gremlins. But don't worry, that'll be coming as well. Um, yeah. So let me just share. There we go. And that, <laughs> as we say, it's a silver screen and a silver screen cult crossover and a great Christmas special. So did you have a Christmas message for the the little boys, girls and uh, and everything in between, DK? Yes. Uh, thank you. From one jolly old fat guy to another. It's fantastic <laughs> to be here. Uh, yeah. As you say, it's been it's kind of my one year podcast anniversary as well. So I've got two reasons to celebrate. Yeah, yeah, it is. I did, yeah, it didn't, just occurred to me actually because yeah, that was your first it was. official time was our Die Hard review. Yeah, it was. If only you knew then what you know now, mate. <laughs> I've never been happier to have somebody <laughs> to uh, ease the burden a little bit. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It oh, was a nice great one. time actually. Yeah. So it, I had a very good time during our Die Hard review. So obviously, yeah. otherwise I wouldn't have invited you full time. Well, exactly. <laughs> if we if we hadn't, this this would have been a very different episode. Yeah, okay. This is not the time to tell you. Cue the uh, the gif of Jez from Peepshow who just go. That's not very Christmassy. Yeah. <laughs> Fol- fo- followed by the George Michael sadness gif. Oh, <laughs> yes, indeed. But, but uh, yeah. no. So um, I'm sat here surrounded by my Christmas decorations. As I said to you the other night, it looks in this house like we've just lost a game of Jumanji. So we're getting there eventually. (laughs) How about you? You're ready for Christmas. You got all your, your presents and everything. Well, I'm all set. I've got everything in, like I've bought everyone's presents that I'm going to, and the decorations are up. The tree lights are currently on. Um, My spare room looks like I've lost a game of Jumanji because all of the stuff is there and not wrapped yet. (laughs) uh, Yeah. I, I mean, I better get on it because, I mean, we're not recording this as it goes out, which will be three days before Christmas, in which case I would hope I will have done this wrapping by then. But uh, <laughs> we'll we'll see, hopefully, anyway. But, uh, yeah. So now that uh, I'm looking forward to watching a few more Christmas movies over the next uh, couple of, uh, well, and however long it is till Christmas. No, no spoilers. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully uh, people will watch this and enjoy it as well. So. Yeah, we hope everybody out there is having a, a really nice holiday season so far. Looking forward to Christmas. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll bring a bit of that celebratory atmosphere with us on this episode. Absolutely. And as you'll probably have gathered, um, we don't have a guest as such on this episode. It's just myself and DK, as it was for the Die Hard review. But as I said, considering that we have a bit of a Christmas party theme going, we're feeling a bit celebratory. Um, we have invited a couple of uh, people on. And a surprise or two. <laughs> so um, 
yeah, without any further ado, we decided, first of all, that we would have a quiz like we often do on the cult classics, only this time it would be between us. So um, we invited DK's friend Nick to form a Christmas movies-themed quiz, and uh, Nick, I'll cross over to Nick now. Well, as with all uh, Christmas episodes, we've been visited by uh, three ghosts, and... Uh... On this occasion, it's the Ghost of Christmas Past, which is Nick, who you remember from our DC Top 10 countdown. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing very well, thank you. Nice. How's your Christmas shaping up? You got everything sorted yet? Oh, not even remotely. <laughs> that's, that's what we like to hear. Yeah. I don't have a lot to sort out, but I haven't even done any of it. Oh, okay. Mo. <laughs> yeah, I understand you've got a uh, a special festive quiz for us, Nick. Is that right? Uh, I don't know how special it is, but I, I certainly have a festive one for you. Yes. Oh, well, it says, mate, it's very special. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll be a bit of fun anyway. All right, go for it, then, fella. What what is it that we have to do? Right. Well, this is the uh, Christmas movie quiz. Uh, of uh, section of the uh, show. Uh, so I'm going to be asking you questions uh, about festive films. Uh, and by that, I mean Christmas films, films that feature Christmas in some way, films that are vaguely Christmas adjacent, something like that. The, the links <laughs> may be tenuous, uh, but generally uh, there'll be some Christmas in there. Um, and yes, there's a series of questions. Uh, some of them are multi-part, uh, so uh, watch out for those. Oh, God. And yes, so what we're going to do is I'll ask the question, and then I'll uh, you can uh, type the answers in to private chat just to keep you honest. Um, but uh, then I'll come to each of you for answers, and then we'll see who is right, who is wrong, or if you're both right or both wrong. Yeah, I can see. Um, I can see Mike just walking away with this. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yes. this is this is the thing you see i haven't actually done any of these quizzes because i'm usually the host and you haven't seen how competitive i am yet so uh, <laughs> we may yes. not be friends oh, by the end mate, i was on the i was on uh will's who quiz with you i know how competitive you are <laughs> okay that's fair enough <laughs> yeah if you're ready then uh shall we jump into yeah. it go yes, for please. it okay then well i'm going to start with the most quintessential Christmas film uh, and that is of course uh, Die Hard I don't think uh, sure. anybody would disagree with that <laughs> don't at me um, so yes let's see uh, sort out the men from the boys very early so what is the name of the limo driver that picks John McLean up from the airport and if it helps you in any way he's played by Devoro White my He's played by who, sorry? Devoro White. Ah. So I think <laughs> both your answers are in. So uh, so let's go to Mike first. What do you think the answer is? Uh, I think the answer is Argyle. And DK? I'm also going with Argyle. Well, you'd be surprised to learn <laughs> that you're both correct. Woo! So it's, it's going well so far. It's an, it's an, it's an early win. That's uh, for both of you. So that's nice. You're off the starting block. I can, you know, let myself go now. So <laughs> at least I've got one point. 
Should we point out to Nick that we literally reviewed Die Hard last year for the Christmas special? That's probably why we both knew that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I probably wouldn't have got that myself, but I thought anybody who you know watched Die Hard enough would know that. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm now I'm now playing that. That was a deliberately easy card question to start you off. Card, uh, <laughs> whether you buy it or not, I don't know that. We are Die Hard fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, next one's a bit different. Let's see where we go with this one. Uh, so next up is 2003's brilliantly inappropriate, or inappropriately brilliant, Bad Santa, starring Billy Bob Thornton. Oh. <laughs> Haven't seen it, but so, this will be fun. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I've seen it, but, you know, we're on about my memory here. So, yeah, this isn't going to go well. You might be uh, you might be surprised when you find out what the question uh, is. So, in the film *Bad Santa*, how many times is the F word and variations of it used? Oh Nearest wins. Uh, for the record, I didn't count. Uh, I looked it up on the internet <laughs> and uh, found enough that agreed to be credible enough for a fun movie quiz. I'm gonna <laughs> go. <laughs> so i'll come to you dk for your uh, answer first i've got 205 i don't know why i added the five as if that would make you know a whole lot of difference <laughs> but you can uh, you never know might be exactly right and uh and mike what do you think it's also a multiple of five weirdly i went a bit more conservative because i think it, this, this is really weird but i vaguely remember hearing that the record for of a number of F words in a film is South Park and it's like 80 or 90. Uh, so I went considerably lower and guessed 35. Ah, well, I might need to do further research on this, but the answer is, according to my very reliable internet sources, 173. Wow, okay. <laughs> I should have said uh, that was the record at the time when South Park was released. It's probably way uh, higher now. Goes to DK on that one. Remember this audience, I will not be in the lead anymore after this. <laughs> we'll see. So next, uh, this one is a multi-part question. Uh, and it's on 1983, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy team up, Trading Places. I knew I should have watched it when you oh, told this me. Is gonna, this is going to be humiliating <laughs> because I've been telling Mike to watch this shit for months. And I'm not going to get this. I'm, oh. <laughs> And, and you've actually watched it recently? Uh, no, it's on my list. I've, I've not watched it since last year. So oh. unless my memory is whiz, which it's usually a form of whiz, then it's not going to happen. Fair enough. Well, let's see. It might be easy. It might be hard. Uh, but there are several points to be had here. Uh, so the first question, uh, for one point each... What are the first names of the Duke brothers who make the bet that drives the plot of Trading Places? Oh. So it's one point for each of their first names. And, uh, yeah, and uh, for those who don't know, the plot is the, the bet they make is essentially a social experiment about background and privilege. And uh, If I've got this right, I'm going to be amazed, <laughs> considering I've just literally picked two names just out of thin air. So if I've happened well, to hit on this. Having never seen the movie. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, so I think you're ready to give your answers. Um, Mike, 
what, what did you go for? And I, I believe you just said you didn't haven't seen the film, so that's probably going to make this a bit tricky. <laughs> Never seen the film, and I just literally picked two names out of thin air. Clarence and Bo. Yes, that's right. Bo Duke came into my head. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, DK? I've got Mortimer and Randolph. I, th I think that's right. And uh, you are correct. In fact, DK, yes. What, on both? On both, yes. Oh, my um, God. Okay, the next question, then, is probably not going to be a winner for, <laughs> for Mike, yeah, because it's um, another point. Yeah. <laughs> if you can name the actors who played them. So uh, I think I'm uh, reversing the order each time, but uh, I might mix that up at some point. But uh, DK, oh, your answer. And I've got Ralph Bellamy and Don Amici. And Mike? Yeah, I didn't have that. <laughs> I, I picked I never <laughs> Eddie Murphy. I know they're in the movie, so, but yeah. Yeah, um, yeah those are, in fact, the correct um, answers from DK. And yes, um, again, not having seen the film, really an impediment on this one. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> no, it's all not question, I think, really, that one. And there is one more part on Trading Places, I'm afraid. Uh, Great. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there'll be chance chance later on to claw some points back. But the last part, the last part of the question before we move on to another film, uh, is how much was the bet for? What did they wager on the bet? Okay, this is going to be a wild shot in the dark. I forget what genre I've gone in already. So, uh, Mike, I think I'm first this answer. time to give everyone a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> it was for two million dollars. Clearly, <laughs> a fair, you know, those those days, a fair, a fair guess. Uh, DK, I'm going with one dollar. And yes, you are correct. Uh, you don't see, which is the cause the cause of some upset in the film, I believe, but it was just for one dollar. Yeah. Uh, so. Let's let's draw a line under that uh, question and move on to the next one. <laughs> so I'm coming a bit more up to date now. Okay. Into uh, into this millennium, at least, uh, and this is Netflix seasonal delight, The Christmas Chronicles. I have seen that. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. And the question is simply: Who played Mrs. Claus in the film? I hope I've got the right Netflix movie. <laughs> you have. So, DK, your answer? Uh, Goldie Hawn. And Mike? Yeah, it was Mrs. Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn. Yes, indeed. And uh, you're both correct. Uh, I believe she played a more prominent role in the sequel, which was another one, but yes. She did indeed, and I have seen that as well. <laughs> I don't yeah, think I've seen that uh, one. I have to say, um, hands down, my all-time favourite Father Christmas, Kurt Russell. This should be a nice, easy one, hopefully. Uh, back in time a bit again uh, to 2005, and uh, the Shane Black-directed Christmas set, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, shit, I've not seen this. Oh. I've seen it once, but it was in 2005. <laughs> 
Yes, I'd recommend a watching it or b watching it again. Um, right, might be might be an easy enough for you one uh, one for you though. Um, so the question is, who played the two main characters? That I can tell you. A point for each. Ooh, even better. I'm assuming you mean the two male lead characters. <laughs> yes. Shane Black does seem to like Christmas a lot. Oh yeah. So I forget. I've completely forgotten the order now. So I'm going to go to uh, Mike first. Uh, your answer. Uh, the answer is Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer. And DK. I've also got Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer, despite <laughs> the typo. In my, in, in you know, in fairness, I haven't been drinking. <laughs> well, you are both correct. Uh, at least uh, by your pronunciation. And this is a particular modern Christmas classic, 2003's Elf. Oh, shit. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so the first question is, several parts to this one, uh, how does Buddy, played by Will Ferrell, originally end up at the North Pole? <laughs> I think this is right, or something along these lines. But, yeah. This is where Mike pulls all the points back. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Mike, your answer. <laughs> if I remember rightly, he crawls into Santa Claus Ed Asner's sack and then accidentally gets taken back to the North Pole with him. And DK? He catches the wrong bus. And Mike is uh, pretty much spot on. So sorry, DK, Ooh. you've uh... <laughs> no, no, it's it, it's a well-deserved loss. <laughs> lost lost some of your lead there. Yeah. You might not like like the next question. What toy does Buddy hate? <sighs> Jesus, I don't know this one. Yeah, it's another random. Yeah. Either I'm remembering this somewhere in the back of my head or I've just completely gone wildly left of center with it. Well, uh, let's find out. So, uh, DK. I put Space Hopper. Uh, Mike. I vaguely remember him being frightened by a jack in the box. And that vague remembrance uh, is accurate. Oh, you got it. <laughs> I was hoping he was going to miss that one. <laughs> but yes, Come back two for two on Elf. <laughs> and the last one, maybe a bit easier. Why was Buddy so much bigger than all the other elves? It's not a trick question. I've already forgotten the order again. Um, DK, I think. I've I put that he's half human because I did catch the end of the movie when it was on TV, and I think, yeah. And Mike? No, he is in fact fully human, and his dad is the rather tall James Kahn. 
Yes, you are correct. And I'm afraid, DK, I can't even give you half a point for half human because no, that's fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> See, I remember James Khan as the father, so I thought, surely he's half human then. So, but without the other yeah. half. No, it's not a Mr. Spock situation. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, but uh, nice link. Um, I don't think any Christmas movie quiz will be complete without a question from 1996 Festive Abomination. Jingle all the way. Oh, how dare you? That is a classic of the genre. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if I might have come in a bit hard on it there, actually. <laughs> I mean, if nothing else, it's got Phil Hartman in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's an Arnie film, so, you know, uh, it gets my vote initially, but, uh, yeah. Put the cookie Arnie. down! <laughs> the question is, is nice and easy. What is the name of the must-have toy Arnie's frazzled father <sighs> is trying so hilariously no. his hands on? So, Mike, your answer? Turbo Man. And DK? It's Turbo Man. It is Turbo Man. Slightly different form of question. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, less based on you know, specific knowledge of films and well, more complete guesswork. So uh, oh, great. good luck to both of you. <laughs> Just when I was coming back. <laughs> yeah. I will, I will state uh, that my sources for these are... Uh, and I'll, I'll use the uh, the same defense I used for the uh, Bad Santa one, uh, you know, looking it up on the internet and finding enough sources that were credible enough for the purposes of a fun movie quiz. So, uh, yeah, actual figures may, may vary. But, uh, yeah. So, Is this going to be one of those guess the closest number situations? Uh, there might be some of that in there. <laughs> yeah. Only a little. Uh, the first one is, uh, there's a couple of these, by the way, and then something a little bit different after that. Um, what is the highest grossing Christmas movie of all time? Ooh. And I've made a Are note Are we talking here. adjusted for inflation? <laughs> mm, we're talking what I looked up on the internet. And <laughs> yeah, th this, this one was one where various different sources did all agree on it. Uh, so I went with it. I'm going to have to go with it. It's, even if it's wrong, I want it to be right. It's I'm between gonna... three classics, I think. Uh, but again, I could be wrong. I've just had a complete guess. If not, I want to guess another twice because it's one of three, I think. <laughs> yeah. I was I, I was actually, um, I'm assuming not adjusted for inflation, actually, if that makes any difference to your uh, answers. Ah. Well, okay. Nah, no, I'll stick with it. Okay, um, the answer did surprise me, uh, but uh, yeah, so oh, uh, Mike, your answer, or oh, I might have gone the wrong order, but never mind. The answer I went for was It's a Wonderful Life, but I would also like to throw out there, although I know I won't get a point, Holiday in White Christmas, or for some reason, Home Alone, is sticking in my brain. Yeah, and uh, DK? I also went with It's a Wonderful Life, but uh, my second guess would have been Miracle on 34th Street. Which one? The original. 
and this is why it's probably important to know that it was, I guess, not adjusted, adjusted for inflation. Because, uh, uh, yeah, apparently it's 2018's animated The Grinch. Which, oh, okay. I'm, I'm really? honest, I was barely even aware existed, <laughs> if I'm honest. Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch is a and, far better Grinch than Jim Carrey, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> You've seen it? Yeah, I loved it. Oh, is it all right? Yeah, I liked it a lot. I mean, I like, I, but then I'm obsessed with the original. I have the like Boris Karloff narrated half hour special on DVD and watch it every year. So uh, I was kind yeah. of an I was an easy target for them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there is a bonus question for this one uh, that I think is going to fall in uh, Mike's favour, judging by the uh, yeah, it's, it's sounding that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, bonus point if you can name who voices the Grinch. <laughs> and I, I gave think, it away. What was I thinking? You and I think you may have done your mouth shut. You may have done, but uh, he, the DK I'm may not gonna, have noticed. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna just stay quiet from now. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, just did, I, did not allow, I did not allow contingency for that. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> my bonus follow-up question. <laughs> uh, so, uh, DK, your answer. Strangely enough, the name Benedict Cumberbatch popped into my head. <laughs> your answer. Yes, he's right. It was Benadryl Cucumber Patch. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to confess to spending a little time uh, wondering if I could come up with something amusing to call him um, along those lines. <laughs> and I gave up pretty quickly. So, uh, well, well done. And I'm pleased you, you put one in there. <laughs> Makes up for my lack of effort on that part. Um, yeah, next question. The penultimate question, kind of. Um, what is the most commonly used Christmas song in movies? And Ooh. the source for this is pretty much someone who analysed all the songs on IMDb. So if that makes any difference to your guess, I would imagine it would not. So, yeah, actual songs may vary. Again, I'm, I've got a few things in mind, but I'm going to guess. And again, I've forgotten the order. Uh, I think it was Mike. What's your answer okay. to that question? There's a, a few of them were floating around in my head, as I said, but I, I went with White Christmas, was my guess. Not unreasonable. And DK? I changed mine. It was going to be the most wonderful time of the year, but for some reason, while I was typing it, Frosty the Snowman popped into my head, so I just thought... <laughs> I very nearly went with Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas because I know Meet Me in St. Louis originated it, but I can't remember hearing it anywhere else. So, yeah. Well, interestingly enough, the answer is uh, Jingle Bells. Oh, oh. Of course. Oh. That was the most obvious answer in the world. <laughs> it was, uh, I can't remember the full list, uh, but it, it, yeah, Jingle Bells won by a fair margin. Um, and the next one was actually Old Lang Syne. 
Um, and I can't remember what was below that. But I think White, White Christmas and Frosty the Snowman were around there. Probably the other ones you've mentioned as well. There's a bonus point in this one. And again, it's nearest wins. Uh, according to that same source, um, how many movies does it actually appear in? Ooh. I'm going to think how many Christmas movies there are over the years. Work out some kind of mm. system and go with. I'm terrible at guessing one. numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's another it's, it's another one that's like, yeah, that could be anything. Uh, but yeah, so um, I've, yeah, absolutely no regard for what order it should be in. Um, DK, your answer? Uh, I'm going to go with 64. Um, There's no reasoning behind it. It, it, was, it was just there. <laughs> and Mike, yeah. <laughs> And I just picked the number 39 out of the <laughs> so, you know. Fair enough. Uh, well, I did say nearest wins. Uh, both of you are a mile off. <laughs> so uh, oh. it seems hardly fair, but uh, the rules are rules. Uh, 373. Apparently. What? What? How are there even 373 Christmas movies? Are we counting like uh, Netflix stuff here? Uh, Hallmark crap and stuff, maybe. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, it could be. Yeah, it's basically yeah anything that's on um, IMDb uh, with, listed with having that song in it. Um, well done, DK. The final question, you may be pleased to hear. Well, I've lost, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> I shall try my best. Yeah. I'm going to bring things on brand a bit, I think, for this uh, channel uh, in some way, at least for me anyway. Uh, something a bit Marvel. Oh. So there's a point for each of these. Oh, I might be and there might be some and there might be some subjectivity involved in this. So uh, I'll justify myself later if necessary. Uh, which <laughs> which four MCU stories take place near or around the Christmas holiday? Mm. Uh, and by MCU stories, I'm taking that to mean any of the mcu films or the disney plus series uh when does that go or, to more special sorry when up to present day or uh yeah yeah any marvel mcu film sure. or disney plus series or special it's a complete guess on my part, but I'm going with those those four. I'm gonna, yeah, my last one's gonna be a wild stab in the dark, but I've just got a vague feeling about it. Oh, I forgot the. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, Mike, what have you got? Yes. Uh, well, I know Iron Man three. Hawkeye, the series, and Spider-Man No Way Home all do. And my other guess was Eternals, just because I think it's vaguely around that time. Yes. Um, DK, you're... Yeah, I got Iron Man 3, Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, Hawkeye, and the last one was a complete guess, because I'm, I'm sure I saw a Christmas tree at some point, and which was Avengers. Um, but, but between the two of you, you've got all of them. Uh, but yeah, the four I had were Iron Man 3, 
that's fairly obvious. Uh, uh, Hawkeye, again, fairly obvious. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, that's. I thought that was a gimme. Uh, so yeah, if uh, that slipped your mind, then uh, unfortunate time for that to happen. Um, and yeah, Spider-Man Home, No Way Home, which is, which could be argued to be slightly tenuous, but because uh, it sort of takes it's not really. I mean, he goes Halloween. jumping around at the end of the film in snow and Christmas lights. <laughs> exactly at the end. At the end, there's Christmas, and like I say, I was counting things that were just Christmas adjacent, so it's good enough for me. But yeah, right. I have Mike with twelve points. And DK Ooh. with 16 points. Ooh. Sounds about right. <laughs> so that's uh, 12 and 16. So that will take those scores forwards and into round Ooh. two later. Oh, yeah. So you've got a chance to pull would, this Would we out. have done if you hadn't won? No, no, no. no. <laughs> You're still a Mate. We were going to do it anyway. It's, <laughs> and it's 80, 80s movies next, so, you know, yes, you'll, probably, you'll probably win hands down on that one. But, uh, I'm, ju I, I'm just glad I held my own against Mike, because the guy's a bloody encyclopedia sometimes. Oh, please, I got hammered. <laughs> well and truly. Yeah. I wouldn't say, so, I, no, I wouldn't say hammered. I mean, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's not far off. It was interesting, yeah. Um, yeah, I, my knowledge I, of the movie really Elf have... saved me basically from a complete humiliation. <laughs> Let's be fair. Yeah, you got some. Um, there were a couple of um, uh, ones. You, uh, you having seen The Grinch was quite handy as well, but then that turned out to be. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah I kind of stupidly gave the answer. Of well. on that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Well, th thanks for that, Nick. I enjoyed that. What about you, Mike? Well, I mean, I lost, so not really, but... You're not that competitive, surely. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be in a major huff for the entire rest of Christmas now. <laughs> no. no, that was fun. It was. It's always fun to have a bit of a, a bit of Christmas, uh, you know, quizage and a bit of movie knowledge testing. So, yeah, yeah fair deal. So, yeah. Which means I'm going to have to uh, bring my A game for the next round. Oh. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to yeah. say anything because I'm, I'm just going to be humiliated, I can imagine. Uh, so, yeah, cheers for that. Very, um, I, I was going to say, I did have a tiebreaker in case it came out even. Uh, if you're interested, it wouldn't count to anything. Um, yeah, go for it. Yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, and this is again, according to IMDB, how many films <laughs> have the Christmas in the title? Well, now we know how many there are. I'm gonna just <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna say what five. You know, you know how many have jingle bells in? <laughs> five hundred and ninety-seven. I'm gonna go seven ninety. Oh, uh, yeah, that makes you closest. Seven hundred and twenty-six. Holy Whoa. cow! Unbelievable. Yeah, Damn. and that's just. They've got Christmas in the title. Uh, there might be other Christmas films like Die Hard. Meanwhile, but... look for a Hanukkah movie. You'll find about four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, very true. Yeah. Well, uh, hmm. cheers for that, Nick. Thanks for uh, for joining us on this episode. Uh, yeah, you're going to you're going to be coming back, aren't you, for the New Year's special? Oh, I believe I am. Yes. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, looking forward to it. Nice one. Well, I'll be. Uh, I believe the appropriate term is merry, so that should be fun. Yeah, yeah, very much so. But yeah, so, yeah. so uh, yeah. Much, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that, 
dude. And no uh, have a good Christmas. Yeah, yeah thank one. you. And uh, you too. And uh, to all your listeners. All right. Thanks a lot, buddy. Merry Christmas. No Bye. problem. <laughs> thanks. Ah, well played, DK. Well played. You took you took the first round there. Ah, <laughs> uh, thank you. It won't last. Trust me. I've, <laughs> I've been in enough of these episodes and taken part in enough quizzes with you over this last year to know when my ass is about to get beaten. <laughs> um, so yeah, as I mentioned, hopefully you enjoyed that little bit of quizzing, and we are going to go straight into our movie review uh, for Christmas season. This uh, Christmas, we're going to be reviewing Gremlins, and as is often the case, DK, you are going to take us to a behind-the-scenes section on Gremlins. Is that right? It is. Yeah, I've got uh, quite a few facts here. Uh, it oh. was going to be less facts, but you know, it's Gremlins, so it's turned out I've actually written a little bit more. So feel yeah. free to cut this out, whatever you want, or jump in whenever you feel like. It's uh, oh, it's completely up to you, mate. That's fine. I have a few. In case you don't reach them, get to them, I have a few things that I found, but you'll probably cover them. If you don't, I'll, I'll get them at the end. <laughs> nice one. Now, I'll start off with uh, the word gremlin. The word gremlin was popularized by children's author Roald Dahl. His short story, Gremlin Law, told of a group of small elves that caused unexplained damage on Royal Air Force planes. Now, that story was optioned by Walt Disney, but the movie was never actually produced, which is probably good, otherwise we won't have ended up with an episode tonight. Now, the, the word mogwai in Cantonese literally means gremlin, devil or demon. Now, the original script, I don't know if you know this, Mike, the original script featured a scene where the gremlins attack a McDonald's and eat the customers, but then refuse to touch the hamburgers. <laughs> Naturally... It's not the kind of publicity that McDonald's would want, and the scene was dropped. McDonald's then had to wait another four years for a scene with non-humans enjoying the ambience of their establishment in 1988's Mac and Me, demonstrating that publicity-wise, they would probably have been better off had the gremlin scene been included. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be on that cult episode when you review Mac and Me. Just so <laughs> oh, man, it's pretty nice. Now, uh, Speaking of things cut from the original script, Gizmo and Stripe were originally supposed to be the same creature. Billy's mom was also supposed to be decapitated, and the Mogwai ate the family dog, with Gizmo then turning into Stripe. Luckily, these ideas were nixed by executive producer Steven Spielberg and director Joe Dante. Spielberg felt the audience would love Gizmo so much they won't want to see him turn into one of the monsters. Uh, you know, he was right. While Dante wanted the movie to remain family-oriented, so tossed out the decapitation scene. As fine a line as the movie walks at times, I do think they made the right choice with those calls. Yeah. However, one thing which Spielberg thankfully did not get his way on was Kate's speech on why she didn't believe in Christmas. Studio executives wanted the scene removed as they didn't know whether it was supposed to be sad or funny which was the entire point of the movie, according to director Joe Dante. Spielberg also disliked the scene for similar reasons to the execs, but despite having creative control, Spielberg wanted the final product to be Dante's vision, and so the scene was thankfully left in. Another thing that Spielberg and the suits clashed on, however, was regarding a note received during production in which the execs cited for the movie Gremlins, saying there were actually too many... Guess what, Mike? Yeah, I've heard there's too many gremlins in the movie. <laughs> yeah, too many gremlins. I love the response, the by the way. <laughs> yeah, Spielberg sarcastically replied they should cut all the creatures out of the picture and just rename the movie People. 
I love it. <laughs> now, speaking of Spielberg, there are references to other works. Uh, eagle-eyed viewers will have noticed that during the department store scene, Stripe is hiding among the stuffed toys behind an E.T. doll, which harkens back to E.T., in which uh, the creature is hiding amongst the stuffed toys in Elliot's home. The cinema, which strangely enough doesn't have Snow White on the marquee, advertises A Boy's Life and Watch the Skies. Now, these were the working titles for two Spielberg productions. A Boy's Life was the title for E.T., while Watch the Skies was the production title for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And yes, the street leading to the cinema does look familiar to many moviegoers, as the town square of Kingston Falls is also the town square for Back to the Future's Hill Valley, another Spielberg-produced 80s classic. The set is part of a universal backlot. Now, the do there does appear to be several notable deleted scenes from the movie, but a major one is supposedly seen missing from the home version, though apparently shown on TV in some areas, in which during the bank section, Billy and Kate open up a safe to find that Gerald, Judd Reinhold's character, is hiding within. Gerald explains that the creature's got Mr. Corbin, the bank's vice president, who he was you know, obviously continually sucking up to, and that now he's the vice president. He then refuses help from Billy, however, as he believes Billy is just using it as a ruse to get him out to leave safety so Billy can be the new VP of the bank when Gerald also becomes a victim of the gremlins. Instead, he asks Billy to leave him in peace, to which he closes the door on him once more. Now, I haven't been able to confirm if this is 100% true. I have searched. Oh, it is. It is? Oh, fantastic. Because I was going to yeah, say, if anybody he, could let me know, so oh, that's good. He closes the door and then says to Kate, ah, don't worry, he's better off in there. <laughs> oh, thank, oh, is it on the, uh, on the disc? It's not, but I did find um, evidence of it in, uh, like, script form, basically. <laughs> oh, nice. Now, during the scene in Dory's Tavern, when dealing with the drunken gremlins, Kate lets out a genuine scream. Apparently, during the take, a giant cockroach crawled out from the set in front of her, and, the, and her genuine reaction was used in the final edit. Now, it was scheduled to be a Christmas release, hence the setting, but was rushed into production when Warners found out that it got nothing lined up to compete with summer blockbusters from other studios, most notably Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom from Paramount and Ghostbusters from Columbia. Now, speaking of Ghostbusters, that movie was such a juggernaut that it eclipsed Gremlins in box office takings in most major cities around the US at the time, save for one exception, New York. Apparently, the Ghostbusters production left such a bad taste in New Yorkers' mouths after closing streets for traffic during filming that the entire island was just over it by the time of the movie's release, preferring Google <laughs> and Company instead. Now, the violence in the movie was labelled as too extreme for the PG-13 for the PG rating in the US, though too mild for an R rating. In the end, this movie, along with titles such as Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dune, as we just mentioned, and uh, the one from a couple of years earlier, Poltergeist, were the reasons that a new rating, PG-13, was established. I believe the movie was given a 15 certificate originally in the UK. It still is, yeah. I have the uh, box in front of me right here, and it is rated 15 for moderate threat and comic horror. Ah. Now, Dante experienced reactions to the movie's horror elements firsthand when he attended a test screening. Now, midway through this screening, a woman dragged her young daughter out of the theatre, claiming the movie was too violent and was traumatising her only child. She berated Dante for several minutes, only to find that when she'd finished, her daughter had gone missing. Now, people in the cinema looked for her, 
But it wasn't until the end of the movie that the supposedly traumatized daughter had snuck back into the theater and had been beneath the seats to watch the rest of the movie. So enthralled was she with it, embarrassing the mother. Dante found the mother's overreaction and the whole situation so amusing, he made sure to reference it on the sequel during the scene with Hulk Hogan. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I've got on this one, Mike. Anything okay. you've got, uh, that I've missed that you've got written down? Um, I do, actually, yeah. Um, as I said, I, I did a very deep dive into this and then inadvertently the sequel. So if we ever cover Gremlins 2, I know a lot about that as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, weirdly, the film's sort of original script and the novelization and stuff has a ton of stuff that's cut from the movie or extended scenes, things like that. Um, and one of them is, as you mentioned, the scene where Judge Reinhold's character has basically lost his mind inside of the bank vault and gets left there, um, which is why he just seems to disappear from the movie um, with all of his scenes actually having been cut from the theatrical release. Um, there's also an entire subplot about Mrs. Deagle, how she was forcing people out of their house because she was selling the land to High Tox Chemical uh, and they were going to yeah. build a plant which would have effectively destroyed Kingston Falls. Now, you can hear a little bit of this in the background of the news report at the end of the film, but you have to really be listening. Um, so, yeah, suffice to say, uh, a lot of stuff with Mrs. Deagle being even more evil and, uh, I guess, Mr. Potter-esque was uh, left on the cutting room floor as well. Uh, and finally, the other thing that I noted, in the original script and in the novelization, uh, the Futtermans were originally killed by the Gremlins uh, using yeah. the snowplow. Um, I genuinely always think they have been when I watch this movie, but apparently, I think it was Joe Dante um, who decided he didn't want that uh, to be done. He loved the performance that Dick, um, what's his name, Dick Miller, Miller um, yeah. put in for, for the Murray Futterman character and did bring him back for Gremlins 2. Um, but yeah, suffice uh, to say that there is, again, a line in the news report at the very end of the movie, uh, which says they're visiting the Futtermans in the hospital, which is the only indication you have that they actually survived. Um, because as I said, when you watch the scene, I very much thought they were goners. Um, the only other things I have are just a few bits of information on cameos and things. Obviously, you will know if you are a sci-fi nerd like me that Robbie the Robot cameos in the uh, convention that um, Mr. Foot... Uh, ah, sorry. <laughs> that Mr. Peltzer attends, I should say, sorry, um, when he's trying to sell his, his wares. Uh, there's also a cameo by Spielberg himself. Uh, he is the man in the electric wheelchair at the science convention when Randall's on the phone. Yeah, uh, the guy uh, in the cowboy hat is Jerry Goldsmith. Indeed he is, yes, I did have that. And uh, there's also a cameo by animation legend Chuck Jones, who is uh, in the scene with Billy and Gerald trading insults at the bar. Uh, and Chuck Jones would return later to provide uh, new Warner Brothers cartoons for the start and end of Gremlins 2. So, yeah, <laughs> as if you uh, needed any proof that this movie was both a B-movie and had all the seriousness of a Warner Brothers cartoon. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's all I have, uh, other than sort of my actual notes and things. So, yeah, anything else? No, but I believe we have some behind-the-scenes uh, information from a very special person, don't we? We do indeed. Um, as you'll have heard, we are being visited this Christmas by three ghosts to this special. Uh, you've had the ghost of Christmas past. Nick, who was on a previous episode. Um, but we wanted to introduce the ghost of Christmas present, uh, someone from the present movie that we're talking about. And we figured who better to ask about gremlins than Billy Peltzer himself, Zach Galligan. So thanks to the wonders of Cameo, uh, <laughs> And hopefully, working technology here, without any further ado, is Mr. Zach Galligan, the actual star, talking about Gremlins. Here we go. 
Hey there, this message is for Mike and DK of the Silver Screen Podcast. And as you know all too well, you booked it yourselves. And you asked me, hey, Zach, we're about to review Gremlins for our podcast Christmas special and wonder if you had any special memories you could share. Also, we're tired of hearing about the diehard debate, but is Gremlins a Christmas movie? In your opinion, thanks. Well, let's uh, take the first question, uh, Mike and DK, about the special memories. Um, there are so many amazing memories about shooting a gremlins that I could probably fill a book with them. And who knows, I might even do that. But, um, for now, one that I'll throw out was, uh, about three or four weeks into shooting. And I'm not sure why they did this, because if you stop and think about it, it's not the smartest idea, but they did it anyway. They realized that Phoebe and I were a little bored, uh, with waiting around for them to fix the gremlins and they would malfunction. So we were gifted, Phoebe and I, temporarily, we didn't get to keep them, but we were gifted a couple of mopeds so that we could zip around Warner Brothers Studios in between breaks in the shooting. And if you think about it, it's like, why would you give two 19-year-olds mopeds to zip around the <laughs> Warner Brothers Studios when basically all we could probably do is get into trouble and accidents and, and whatever. Which we did have a couple of minor little scrapes, but not, nothing particularly uh, bad. But one of my best memories is I, I can remember there was a break in the shooting. And so she and I ran outside. We jumped on our mopeds and fired them up. And we drove around the studios and we went into the back lots where they shot like TJ Hooker, which was a William Shatner series at the time and a bunch of other stuff. And I can just remember taking it all in, you know, looking around and the sun is shining. It's a perfect blue sky, Southern California day. You're driving around one of the world's most famous studios. They've given you a motorbike, you're 19 years old, you're the lead in a Spielberg movie. And as you're driving around, you take a look over at Phoebe Cates, one of the most beautiful human beings who's ever existed. She sees that you're, kind of feels that you're looking at her and looks back at you. She gives you a smile like, yup, this is the life. And then you look back ahead of you so you don't crash your moped and you think to yourself, I just have all going on right now like it is just firing on all cylinders and you just drive around it's 74 degrees and perfect you have a wonderful time and then you come back from your break and resume shooting gremlins like can you imagine can you really stop and take that moment in and process it it's like almost 40 years later i'm still trying to process that experience as for the diehard debate and the Gremlins Christmas movie debate, my answer is basically this. Gremlins is a Christmas movie now because the public sees it that way. You know, it's not really up to me or Bruce Willis, for that matter, to tell people whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie or Gremlins is a Christmas movie. If the people and the public think Gremlins is a Christmas movie, then it is. I don't get to tell them it isn't. And even if I do, would they listen? No. So the fact of the matter is the people decide what's what. 
They decide what 80s movies are the best and which ones stand the best of uh, the test of time, rather. And they make all the decisions. So is Gremlins a Christmas movie? Well, it wasn't when it came out. It was a summer blockbuster. Is it a Christmas movie now? Yes, it is. So there you go. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Good luck, Mike and DK, with your Silver Screen Podcast. Okay, there we have it. Thank you so much to Cameo for allowing us to do that. And uh, thank you to Zach Galligan for yeah, indulging us. Thank you to, uh, to Zach Galligan for that. What a, what a legend. Absolutely. And uh, thank you so much for the well wishes for the podcast and everything as well, uh, as well, Zach, Mr. Gallagher. <laughs> and yeah, um, just to be on the you know the side of fairness, do if you get a chance, check out Cameo, where you can get similar videos and, uh, you know, in, in interactions with some of your favorite stars, uh, as you just saw that we did uh, from Zach Gallagher, which again was very relevant to this episode. Definitely. So <laughs> they've they, they've uh, they've provided at least one of my Christmas presents this year. So yeah, very happy with cameo right now. Uh, I'm only like you know ten percent jealous of being able to stare at Phoebe Kids oh. when you're on a. I, I refuse to believe. I refuse to believe there was not one boy and many a girl who was not instantly in love with Phoebe Kate's during oh, this movie. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even going into Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You know, Stranger Things reference, but. Uh, <laughs> In this, I don't know about you, but she just she just stole my heart completely. So I can fully get on board with uh, what Zach was saying then. Yeah, very uh, very cute, absolutely, and uh, just so charming. But then again, so so Zach Gallagher in this movie. Yeah, you know, um, you watch the Sandra performance and think, oh, how has this had? You know, this chap not had way more work. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, I've always liked him as an actor from this to his. Uh, his latest stint on a movie that you're no doubt sick of me talking about, Mike, which is uh, Waxwork. Uh, I, I guarantee <laughs> yes, it will be featured in a cult episode at some point. I think <laughs> he's a really good actor, and I'm disappointed he never got the recognition that I feel he deserves. Oh, absolutely fair enough. Um, and before I forget, I did have one other tiny bit of behind-the-scenes information because it's such a bizarre story, and I felt like I had to share it. Um, if you didn't know, the gremlins in this movie are, are all animatronics, which is part of the reason that the directors and producers attribute to their success. CGI probably wouldn't have worked all that well. But for a time, there was another alternative considered. They were going to use monkeys to portray the gremlins. Oh, God, I read this. It just instantly reminded me of Nope. Yeah, until they tried one of the gremlin prosthetic heads on a monkey, and it freaked out, completely trashed the office that it was in at the time, uh, and then Joe Dante, in the midst of all this carnage, apparently just turned to the producers and went, so, animatronics? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But if you think that's really weird and beyond belief, by the way, this is why I had to share this. There is actually a film from years and years ago where they put a monkey in a Mickey Mouse sort of head and costume um, in the island of Misfit Toys. I think the movie's called Babes in Toyland. And it is the freakiest thing you've ever seen because there's something about the way that a monkey, a live thing, moves and claps and walks that just makes it look so freaky and bizarre that it's like in this, it's Mickey Mouse, but it's moving like you know, a live animal and absolutely bizarre. You can find that clip on you clip on YouTube if you look it up. But yeah, I would only recommend it if it's if you're not prone to nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, if you're new here, we basically just we don't do a sort of breaking down the film scene by scene or anything because we assume that you've probably watched it if you're watching this. But we do kind of just have a free flowing um, 
review that's split into categories like writing and plot, acting, directing, special effects, music, etc. And wherever that takes us to discuss various things and scenes in the movie, we will just talk about them as as and when. So, um, and if you haven't you watched wanna... it by now, why are you listening to a Gremlins episode, dude? Stop this. <laughs> get back to us when you've watched it. Yes, definitely go watch. It's the perfect time of year to watch Gremlins, I will say, because it's even more festive than I remembered it being. So, yeah, go watch it. And then, as I said, it's one of those weird movies as well where you can find as much behind the scenes to fascinate you as you do in the movie. So I highly recommend watching the film and then looking up all the making of and everything. Did you want me to start off some information on the, the writing and the plot? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've got quite a few notes with regards to the writing, so I'll, I'll just jump in whenever you uh, whenever you, ah, you want, mate. Okay. Fair enough. Um, well, well, we'll deal with the first scene and we don't have to just talk about plot, but we'll deal with the intro because obviously it opens with sort of street in Chinatown and Randall Peltzer trying to flog his ways and then ultimately finding Gizmo uh, in the shop of Key Luke playing Mr. Wing uh, and then gets the, obviously, the Gizmo sold to him despite the fact he shouldn't have by his little, I think, grandson. Grandson, um, yeah. Who then in voiceover tells us all about the three rules to having a mogwai. Uh, so... Like I said, I don't love the particular trope about that, but I will say I think the acting is great. I think um, Key Luke is amazing. Supposedly, he, he was so fresh-faced that they had to put, like, tons of makeup on him to make him look older. Yeah, because, I mean, <laughs> he was the star of the uh, the Charlie Chan movies from the 1930s, so to look that good, you know, 50 yeah. years later, oh, guys yeah, going on. And uh, he, he has passed away, sadly, now, but it wasn't until the, I think, mid-90s, so a fair age. I also love the gizmo point-of-view shot. Because it doesn't show us Gizmo right away, we kind of just see, uh, he, see Mr. Pelter from within the box and everything. And uh, the only other thing that I was wondering about is why they have the rules in voiceover over like a slow motion walking away shot. It seems weird. It's almost like they forgot they had to include them. It does, but I think it works. I've I've got a note on that. It, to me, it gives it a kind of almost fairy tale like quality. Okay. It's it's yeah. I I don't know why. I, it just, it really sticks with me. And for some reason, those opening scenes, I can't ever remember them prior to watching it this time being that kind of beautiful, I guess. I think some of the direction, mm. some of the lighting in this is just phenomenal. Especially the more atmospheric, like snow scenes and Christmas stuff and things. And that scene at the very end of Mr. Wing walking away is just sumptuous to look at, honestly. Yeah. And so I'll go to the next thing that I had, which is obviously we haven't, well, we, we touched on her, but we haven't really talked about Mrs. Deagle. Uh, the old grump of the town. Um, it's kind of, I, I don't know if I would say that it's a bad thing because of the tone of the movie, but it's quite obvious that she's a ripoff of not just Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life, as I've mentioned, but so explicitly the Wicked Witch of the West and her real world equivalent from The Wizard of Oz to the point yeah. that she even, she even is threatening to get the little dog too. <laughs> yeah, that's that. I mean, Polly Holiday as Deagle. I mean, she's mm. as villainous as the gremlins themselves. I mean, she oh, switches yeah. between comic relief, you know, even with a, with a death scene, which is still pretty quite harsh, uh, you know. But is it? No, it, it's kind of it's it's a bit comical to be harsh. It's very it is it is it's but, Looney Tunes. <laughs> but when you when you look at it through kind of her lens, and I think this, you know, we'll we'll get into it later. But I think this film does a masterful job of making you laugh. And then on occasion, immediately making you feel guilty for laughing. I think it, oh, I just think it's it's fantastic. But I think Polly Holiday, regardless of the, uh, you know, regardless of the death scene, I think she does 
an admirable job of switching between those dark and light tones, like in the bank at the start where she's going, oh, my heart. And then she instantly mm. switches evil. And then when she realizes, you know, she's done what she needs to and people's watching, she then switches back to, oh, my heart again, you know? Yeah. I just think, as you said, as soon as she sort of starts seeing um, the over-the-top nature of we can't eat, I'm hungry, and I'm hungry too, and what are you going to do with us? And ah, I'm here to make money. We don't have anything. Well, now you know what to ask Santa for. It's just like, you know she's getting hers later. You know that. Uh, and I think that's what makes the kind of death scene so satisfying and why I don't feel super awfully guilty about it is because it's designed to make you cheer when it happens because she's it not is. exactly innocent. <laughs> it is, but I think in the context of what's surrounding it, and when it cuts to that that you know that view, that point of view of uh, the sheriff and the deputy from the car, and she, you see a leg sticking up on the chair. Yeah. In the context of everything that's going on around him, and especially, I mean, I'll get to it. Jonathan Banks acting in that scene. Mm. I think it's done really well, and it's really dark. I noticed the writing does actually a lot. Well, maybe the right, maybe the direction does a lot of setting up things for later, like the um, the devices that Rand Peltzer has, or the eggs in the kitchen. You know, showing the, the devices and stuff in there that they're going to be used later. Um, the bar itself, the threat to sort of uh, you know dispose of the dog in the tumble dryer. And all this, which is a talk about that kind of violence that you'll kind of be seeing later, uh, yeah. and even. Even as they walk into the Peltzer's house, the swords that fall. Um, again, this time around, I noted that happening and was like, I can't remember, but I'm sure that's going to be important later. And sure enough, it was exactly how Billy saved his mum from one of the gremlins was using a sword and slicing it straight into the fire. So Yeah. yeah. There, is, uh, there is kind of a lot of not only setting up, but there's quite a lot of, of exposition, but it never feels too heavy. It's delivered naturally, I think. I think it, oh, I, I think it just... There's something about this movie that just freaking works for me, man. I mean, it's obvious it's something, yeah. yeah, yeah. B movie material, and it leans heavily yeah. into it. But I, I do think the writing on this thing is impeccable. It's, it is like a dark fairy tale. It's full of emotion, yeah, and it, it's just a ride. Absolutely. But there's something about like you wouldn't think it, but I made a note to just sort of I don't know why, but it just occurred to me to do it at the time. The first time the gremlins appear and the carnage starts is exactly halfway through the movie, but yeah. it doesn't feel like you've waited that long because everything before it's still pretty plenty entertaining and good acting and good setup, you know. <laughs> yeah, this this is my main thing with this film. I think the earnestness in the script. Uh, it was written by Chris Columbus. This one. Yes. Uh, I know it's good. Don't get me wrong. But I think a lot of that earnestness is lost in the sequel. Yes, uh, I agree. I, I know apparently Dante prefers the second one to this. I mean, I do I respect his opinion, but I've never quite understood it. I mean, to me, this one holds up a lot better. It's yeah. The sequel's simply treated kind of as a comedy. The human characters are, in some occasions, even taken less seriously than the creatures. It's self-referential. Yeah. But uh, this one... It's got heart in spades. Kingston Falls, I mean, I don't know what you think, but it's somewhere I think people want to live. I mean, it's not perfect. Yeah. Obviously, it's been established by the uh, the Deagle angle. And to be honest, I doubt places like this ever existed. But it feels very real. And it yeah, can't, but, but still kind of in that Netflix slash Hallmark Christmas movie reality. Well, it I don't feels... even think you have to – I don't think you have to go that far. I think it's quite deliberate why they watch It's a Wonderful Life. Um, yeah. you know, Bedford Falls is what this is and like I said Deagle is obviously Mr Potter 
uh, the kind of you know grump that's trying to ruin everything and billy is your jimmy stewart character that's like don't you've got more than you realize in life and yeah it is that old-time american charm of like it's a small town and everybody knows everyone and even if you don't feel it everyone likes you and they're out to help each other and yeah <laughs> yeah but it never feels overly forced or schmaltzy it it genuinely no, feels no. like a yeah it's not a perfect place but you, you you think you watch it and you think i could live there if anything i think it actually benefits the film's darker humor as well because it, it needs to have and i think this is for me why the sequel fails a little bit because it needs to have something to play off to be that clash of tones so the clash of the sort of sincerity and the charm and everything with the dark humor and the violence is for me what makes Gremlins so unique and kind of special. By Gremlins 2, you're just kind of, there is no clash, it is just a farce. It's just a, cartoon, yeah. a live action cartoon gone absolutely wild and there's no sincerity and there's no sense of reality or anything. It's that just, is, which to be fair, if you like that, fair enough, but yeah. It's spot on, you've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's, <laughs> it's almost like a parody of this movie. Which it is, yeah. I mean, they've openly said that's exactly what it is. It's a parody of this movie and of sequels in general. Um, and again, I can see why people like it because it is just, and I can see why Dante does because he was basically just told do whatever you want. And it was like, oh, let's go completely as crazy as we like and everything. But it's also a good example of like, maybe that's why you don't give full creative control to people because, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a very fine line. And as I, as I mentioned to uh, my friend George the other day, if you've never seen it, the Key and Peel sketch about the writing of Gremlins 2, which you can find on YouTube, please watch it if you've never seen it. It is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> this is, again, well-worn territory, but I have to touch on it. Yes, I'm well aware the rules make absolutely not one shot of sense because no. it's always after midnight, so when does it reset? Some people assume sunset or, uh, so, sorry, sunrise the next morning or something. But then, again, the sequel has done all the work of the kind of ridiculous jokes and parodies of what if you're on an airplane and you change time zones and then it's after mid... Yeah, we know. It doesn't make a ton of sense. And even... As I watched it this time, I was like, hang on, you can't get them wet. So how do they how are they alive? What are they they don't use water to drink or anything? So well it's it's not just that. I mean, they're all frolicking in the snow. So you can well, only no, there is, water in a liquid state and it doesn't involve is, anything um, that contains, yeah. you know, barley or malt like beer. There is a couple of lines that explain that actually, that again were cut, which Maybe shouldn't have been if you, if you are bothered by this. I don't think you are. So I don't think that like the audience general, I don't mean you specifically. Um, so I don't think it's a huge loss. But apparently there was a moment where they drink orange juice and somebody mentions that and they say, well, it's not water, it's orange juice. So, it, you know, it doesn't have that effect. And they also said something about it's got to be, they can't come into contact with water, but it's fine if it's water that's below like 12 degrees or something stupid. So, which explains the whole frolicking in snow. Oh, um, right. See, I thought I yeah. thought for a minute that we were going to have to break out the Joel Hodgson gif. <laughs> there is still, as you think about it, it is still nonsense because as soon as the gremlins come out of the snow and warm up, that snow's going to melt and become water. So, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, again, I don't think the film wants you to think about that kind of thing, and I never really do until it's actually, unless I was coming to review it and analyze it, I don't think I would care. <laughs> I sort of don't. <laughs> I do like that Billy had some uh, had positive role models with his mother and father that you know yeah, yeah. they have their issues they don't judge each other that though uh you know they've obviously got flaws especially with uh randall and his inventions but they're loving yeah. they're always encouraging parents towards billy and then his mother takes takes no prisoner she's not helpless 
she single-handedly wipes out most of the transformed gremlins whereas first, yeah. Randall, yeah Randall provides much of the human-based comic relief with his you know his inventions and conversations oh. with the outside Kingston Falls but I think it works in that Hoyt Axton plays it so straight and we again going back to this word such earnestness that you can't help but love the guy I will say I slightly disagree with you on that. And I love Hoyt Axton, and I think his performance is great. Um, and he got, like, like a lot of the actors in this film, like um, even Mrs. Deagle, uh, I forget the actress's name, sorry. Polly Holiday. Holiday, there we go. They both just have an amazing <laughs> voice that is absolutely like old Hollywood, and it's just captivating to listen to. But I think you, you don't need Rand Peltzer other than the start and end of the movie. And all of the times it kept on continually cutting to his journey back home and stuff, it just felt like you were cutting away from what I cared about. And I was like, okay, you could probably keep the science convention because as a big nerd, I appreciate the references. Like I saw the actual time machine from the time machine and I saw Robbie yeah. the robot and stuff. Like I get it. <laughs> it but... promotes rust. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But like you didn't need him getting to the gas station and trying to sell the smokeless ashtray and then getting to another place and then at the convention again. And I was just like... We get it. He's heading home. We don't need to. We're cutting away to this for jokes that just aren't landing for me. <laughs> you see, I didn't mind. I didn't mind that. I think it would have been. I'm. I'm glad they cut the first, the the other scene in the the garage where the old man turns up and the guy is trying to sell him the smokeless ashtray. Mm. I I kind of like that because I think it kind of plays off and and it takes away a bit of the hard emotion at the end of the film when he come he comes back to reclaim Gizmo. You know, just by putting that aside in about yeah, the guy at the uh, the gas station. Yeah, I, again, the film it's it's an exercise, as you said, in like exposition without it feeling like it. So even when it does the whole thing of oh that uh, Mogwai there has got a cute little stripe on its head, so that they've already identified like okay, the one with the stripe seems to be the leader, and they're kind of bullying Gizmo even before they've turned into the Gremlins. You've established like that one's called Stripe. He's the leader. They yeah. don't seem to like Gizmo for some reason, so they're not like the kind of thing that he is. Next, with the regards to the writing, I've got there's some great, just great dialogue and scenes in this thing. And some of, again, going back to that that line between horror and comedy, some of them are pretty haunting. I'm not just Kate's Christmas revelation, but that little scene where Footman's gets escorted out of the bar by Kate and Billy, and he's rambling. Yeah. About yep. you know gremlins and he, when when that goldsmith music hits as he's reading that off you know about the gremlins and in the machinery during World War Two, it's yeah. re it's really kind of eerie. It is, and it just led, but it just it's one of those things where, like the Santa speech, almost it's kind of jarring, and I get that's probably what the movie's going for, but it just led me to think: is this like is this trying to? justify like his pain at the hands of the gremlins later like he's a bit of a bigot and a bit racist and so that's why when maybe in the same way that we're not supposed to mind that mrs deagle gets her comeuppance is that what we're supposed to think about footman or is it just literally you know we need a name for these things and he's going to be the one that tells you that they're gremlins or whatever you know? i think it's kind of both i mean i i, I do think you there are obviously the, you've got the bigoted elements to to footman who his wife yeah. just kind of I presume a shut out to a certain extent over the years. So I do think that when he apparently dies at the hands of the gremlins, because like you, I thought he died. Mm. Uh, you, you don't feel too bad, but I, I, I do, I do think again, going back to the exposition thing, I do think the, the scene outside the bar where he is explaining does set it up nicely. And as so I think that it's kind of a, 
you know, two birds with one stone situation. I do think he's yeah. he's he's great. I mean, and, and he's it's Joe Dante. I mean, he's made such such really good yeah. movies. You know, I don't think you could have gotten a better director for the subject material. I mean, he runs that no. line between horror and comedy. I'd say more than any others, and I think it shines through in this. Yeah. And he did. He did my favourite uh, section in the Twilight Zone movie. The uh, oh, of course, it's yeah, wonderful yeah. life reinvention. I thought he did a really good. And I know we've not got to it yet, but uh, there are very strong elements from Jerry Goldsmith's score in the, from the Twilight Zone movie used in this, mm. and you can see where it was going at the time. But I absolutely love this soundtrack. But we'll come to it later. Oh yeah, we will. We will definitely uh, talk about that when we get to the music part. I do find it a bit convenient that the gremlin at the school happens to eat at exactly the same time as the ones have tricked Billy into getting fed. Yeah. Um, uh, so again, watching it this time, I was like, "Ooh, that's very convenient." But again, do I care? Not really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, that's that's another kind of you know, get ready, Joel. But it's another kind of thing. Where did that gremlin go? Was that in the cinema at the end? Oh, again, I think there's a deleted scene or something that explains it, but it's it's yeah. lost basically. But yeah, I, I do um, like the little the little bit where uh, he eats the apple. I don't have you read that. No. When he eats the apple, he shouts "treif" and throws it away, which is apparently Yiddish for not kosher. Oh, <laughs> fair enough. I know there's loads of little moments like that where they say like actual things, including I think one of them actually saying "Key Luke" to Mister Wing. If you listen, which is oh, like the actor's I, name. I did see <laughs> that. Obviously, you can hear Stripe going, you know, Gizmo Kaka, oh, Gizmo Kaka, yeah, <laughs> like Billy. <rah. laughs> yeah, and who was the who was the voice of Stripe, Mike? I I know that who does voices in the movie, but I couldn't tell you which is which. But I was. Surprised to learn upon examination this time around that half the cast of Transformers and yep. Michael Winslow from Police Academy all did yep. voices for this. Yeah, Stripe so, is actually Frank Welker. Of course it's Frank Welker. Of course it is. <laughs> the guy does everything, man. He does everything from Blumen Megatron to Fred from Scooby-Doo to Nibbler and Futurama. So, of course it was. But yeah, apparently Peter Cullen, Optimus Prime, is one of the voices in here. Yeah. And uh, as I mentioned, the guy from Police Academy, Michael Winslow, who does all of the weird voice effects, also one of the, the voices. So, And obviously, as I mentioned, Howie Mandel doing Gizmo, just killer job. Amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, where was I? The Gremlin. Oh, that's the, my other big question. And it only occurred to me this time, and it's, it really bugged me more than I care to admit. They're at school on Christmas Eve? <laughs> oh, what? shit. That never occurred to me. <laughs> Definitely at school, and yet they've established via Rand that it's Christmas Eve because he's trying to get home. And I was like, in America, do they not get to like finish school or anything until Christmas Eve night? Surely not. <laughs> do you know what? I'm 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 not a kid anymore. I would still live in Kingston Falls, especially if it's <laughs> going to be quite around the shops for Christmas. Fair enough. <laughs> but no, I do love how these scenes kind of build the tension. Again, it's it's great that Dante has that. I guess horror-ish background well not even just horror-ish he did werewolf movies he did piranha so he knows how to to eke the ultimate tension not show the gremlin straight away do that great jump scare when it pops out of the cupboard at billy um and yeah just as i said i, I felt the tension of the lead up to the transformation and of the big reveal so i thought that was very good um so then we get to the the scene of the movie which is uh, mrs peltzer lynn peltzer just using everything in the kitchen to decimate yeah. the gremlins and it's just what twisted mind came up with this? The idea of like a blender, a microwave. She attacks him with a knife at one point, and 
it shows you it all in gruesome detail and it shouldn't work, but somehow it really does. Yeah, I, do, um, I just love the fact that, you know, she sat there making cookies. She hears this noise upstairs and her first instinct, go for the knife. Yeah, and even the, the like the gremlin hiding in the Christmas tree and stuff like that. It's like, or the shadow of it when she's like just lurking, you know, it's stalking her and you don't know where it is. It's like, it's full on horror movie and yet it doesn't feel like it because they've got that cheeky tone and the kind of music in the background and stuff going. So you're just kind of, yeah. and maybe because it is so cartoonish so that you just find yourself, instead of being repulsed or whatever, just laughing at the sheer chutzpah of doing it <laughs> yeah like, they do a lot oh, of great work with the uh, the shadow play for the gremlins yes you know where yeah. you, you can just see the shadow moving off screen and you're like you know it's there and it's only a matter yeah. of it, they do it so well yeah that relates to what i was saying like uh, even when it comes to not revealing it so that when the thing's transformed and emerges from its cocoon in the school it shows you like its hand first or it shows you the teacher reaching into the shadows to to get to it to feed it something and then presumably having his arm ripped off, it seems like, but obviously it wants to get the PG rating, so you don't see very much. And then, again, it was apparently going to be that he'd been stabbed by multiple needles uh, and killed, but then that became just one needle in the butt because PG rating, we need it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's still that scene is still really tense for me when he's like, you, when you know what the creature is and he's reaching into the shadow to feed it something, and I'm like, don't put your arm in there, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dumb idiot. <laughs> um, We've talked about the Deagle scene at length, but we'll talk about it maybe a little bit later on. Carols and the come up and Sal Gollett. So, yeah. <laughs> Gremlins singing carols. And uh, by that point, we've established there's no sense of reality, but that's going to only get worse, I'm sure. But yeah, apparently that was the, the scene which sold, um, I can't remember, I think it was maybe Joe Dante on what the movie was going to be when he was like, ah, Gremlins in human clothes acting like, oh, they think they're people. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right, fair enough. Um, jumping to another scene that I never noticed until this time or just wasn't paying attention to maybe the scene where they turn the radio on in the car and rock and Ricky gets attacked. When he starts off and he's like, uh, Corey Feldman rings him like, Oh, there's these strange green creatures. And he's like, look, rock and Ricky's had enough with this Orson Welles crap. So give it a rest. Okay. Oh, what's that? Is it a rock and Ricky? Fans? Like, oh my God. They're breaking. Yeah. That's comedy brilliance. And it's but then, but then that, I, I don't know if you picked up on that, that audio clip later where he says oh, the yes. Marines are standing by, they're going to yes. turn the fire hoses on them. And you think, no! Yes, I noticed that. I made that specific note because I was like, hang on a minute. That's no, because that's just going to start it off, isn't it? Yeah. But obviously, not, obviously nothing happened. We're not meant to necessarily read into that. But I was like, is that there to give you the sense of like, oh, no, don't yeah. do that. Yeah. You, you, I kind of thought, was this a, a potential sequel set up or something? You'd think, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I do like the fact that they gave another <laughs> reference to Spielberg's work with the billboard for Rockin' Ricky dressed up yeah. as Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh, yeah, quite a blatant Indiana Jones reference, isn't it? But, uh, yeah. So the next thing I've got about the writing is the bar scene where the carnage fully breaks loose, and it's uh, again, it just kind of it shows you what the movie is because you have a flasher gremlin, they're drinking, smoking. There's one of them in drag, they're playing poker. The flipping hilarious cool jazz guy gremlin just in the corner smoking a cigarette. I love like he's, he's fashion jazz. And this this is the microcosm of this movie. He sat there going, <laughs> and then also the other one comes with that puppet going. <laughs> it just switches from like kind of po face seriousness to absolute batshit insanity, and I just think yeah. it sums up the movie perfectly. 
Yeah, and then the fact that it cuts from there to the Flashdance Gremlin and the song Super Madness as it like dances along in the full-on style. It's yeah. just like, what are we doing? It, it, this has got to be a parody at this point, surely, right? Yeah, um, I just I just think tonally it's just, it's all over the place and it should be a mess, yeah. but it isn't. It's just but it's that's, perfect. Isn't that a perfect sort of summation of Gremlins? <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. They are yeah. all over the place in chaos, so naturally... I think that's what makes the film doing that work. And uh, as I said, the fact that Kate is lighting all these cigarettes and stuff without any problem, then notices all of a sudden that they, they get scared of the light of it, starts taking them out with a photograph uh, yeah. thing. But then the absolute key moment for me that sold me on, like, don't take this seriously, is the robber gremlin that just peeks out from behind a corner and has, like, a gremlin-sized gun and a little ballerina. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, oh, okay, I get it. And we're not supposed to care about reality at this point, okay. <laughs> Obviously, there's the idea that, again, quite clever, that you have to get rid of them all. So they establish, you know, they have to go someplace dark, so they all go to a movie theater. Um, so, yeah, it's very convenient. It gets them dealt with when you can blow that up and kill them all. Uh, but it also still has the sense to have Spike having wandered off so that you can have the final confrontation. So, again, very cool, economical, clever writing, I think. So, yeah. And you also get the stakes of like if Spike gets to water, it doesn't matter how many we've killed, it'll just start all over again. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the kiss between uh, Phoebe Cates and Zach Galligan came a little bit out of nowhere. Like, I sensed the chemistry from their first scene together, fair enough. But the kiss as to when it happened, I was just like, now? Really? All uh, right. <laughs> okay, you see, I can kind of see that with everything that's gone on. You know, I didn't know if he's if actually going to survive this. So, I mean, you would, wouldn't you? Especially if it's yeah. Phoebe Cates. Well, I would anyway if it was Phoebe Cates, but never mind. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> as mentioned, you basically get the final boss fight between Spike and uh, the others uh, to stop him getting to water. And, um, yeah, Gizmo stunt cars in to save the day. <laughs> this is brilliant because apparently the original scene as filmed, there were two drapes to open. Uh, Gizmo opened one and then... Uh, Billy opens the other one, ultimately saving the day. And Zach Gallagher for years claimed, sort of tongue-in-cheek style, in uh, interviews and stuff, that he was pissed with Gizmo for stealing his moment because <laughs> he got the hero moment at the end and his his opening of the drape thing was cut. But um, I do yeah, like the uh, I do like the Gizmo as well, flashing back to the the Clark Gable movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stripes' death is super grisly. Like, I forgot how grotesque that was. That's up there with, like, opening the Ark of the Covenant and stuff. It's like, whoa. It, it already looks pretty... horrible the way he's melting and stuff. And then when the skeletal thing sort of comes out of the water and the back of it's still bubbling, like, you're not sure if it's actually going to birth something or not. And so gross, man. And, yeah, and I'll be honest, that brings me to another point. Barney the dog, who is actually yes. played by a dog called Mushroom, he's fantastic. Yes. Yes, <laughs> he is. He's really good. Yeah. The, the only other thing I have for writing, and it's more down to a combination of the writing and the way it's performed, but right at the end where Gizmo says, bye, Billy, every bye, single Billy. time, oh, it's like a, I have been and always shall be your friend moment. You know, he also says, bye, woof, woof to the dog. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love how the gremlins sound suitably different and ghoulish to the Mogwai, because the Mogwai have that kind of cute, squeaky-sounding thing going, and the gremlins are all like, it's, like, it's a subtle thing, but, you you know, without thinking of that, the movie loses a bit of its appeal. Yeah, I've got, I mean, I've, I've got that written down as a note. The, the voices are spot on, the sound design. Oh, yeah. For yes, between, yeah. you know, the, the regular Mogwai, the gremlins, 
just fantastic. Just, just you know, and and you can differentiate, and you know, you, you can, you know, you, even though they've only got a limited vocabulary, yeah, they, 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 they're imbued with their own personalities, and I think that the the performance, everything to me, I mean, we're getting we're getting towards the part where it's the FX, but the animatronic work together yeah. with the, the voice performances, you could swear they're actually alive. It's like watching some of the Muppets performances. They're yeah, that. Yeah well done if you know what i mean and i think I, I again credit the direction of joe dante for that because when you read about the limitations of the stuff they couldn't do and the fact is that you don't know any of that when you're watching it on screen like the the gizmo puppet was supposed to have scenes of like dancing and stuff but couldn't move in the leg area so he never does and yet you don't sit watching this thinking well that puppet's not moving no. and that's why he basically has the car at the end to do the heroic moment because he wouldn't have been able to run or do anything um you can in the sequel but <laughs> anyway yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've, yes. I've read in an interview that Galligan recounted that when he were made, there were no CGI, obviously. So they were yeah. all animatronics, but each one cost between 30 and 40 grand. So when everyone yeah. left a lot for the day, security <laughs> would have everyone open the trunks of their cars to make sure yes. they weren't stealing them. The last note I have about the acting is that I just have to mention how Phoebe Cates absolutely smashes the kind of speech because, as you said, it's the film in microcosm. It's dark and she takes it seriously and plays the straight man which is what makes it funny because it is so tonally weird and yeah. it is kind of like what she's saying is kind of darkly funny but her playing it straight almost makes it funnier and you know what i mean it's kind yeah of, that, that bit where again, she says christmas day came and went and and now all of a sudden you're thinking oh god this is creepy this is really bad so, Again, the writing by Chris Columbus, because the way that he stamps it with the final last line of, and that's how I learned there was no Santa Claus, it's just the absolute perfect, like, yikes. And again, the, the direction, on the other hand, of things, of cutting away to, because you're not sure what to feel at that point, and it cuts to Gizmo, and he just goes like, wow, yikes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly, man. Yeah. And, and this, this is, my, this is my exact problem with the sequel, because yeah. it undercuts this scene by playing it, for laughs in the second one. Well, just quickly, I just wanted to say, obviously, we've mentioned, but outstanding puppetry, particularly with Guzmo. Um, in terms of directing, yes, I'm a film nerd. I noticed that Joe Dante is very fond of his Dutch angles, which puts <laughs> you uh, very uneasy, which, again, is perfect for the tone. So when something freaky or creepy is about to happen and you're supposed to feel tense, tilt the camera. <laughs> Works every time. Um, yeah, the, the fact that the, the scene of the gremlins being born is just such a beautifully directed scene the way it's overly stylized and it plays that quirky both creepy and catchy tune and you have the sort of um dry ice smoke and the, the camera tilt and everything and i just think it's great and the same with the scene in the classroom or um all these recurring like visual and audio motifs that tell you like this is supposed to be a bit weird a bit creepy and yeah again that's just that's pure joe dante basically um yeah very just atmospheric scenes throughout as i said it, it captures the atmosphere of multiple different things from a dive bar to that as you mentioned like small town christmas to this is a horror movie scene these creatures are being born um to the attacks and everything and i think it always hits the right tone which is not an easy thing um the close-ups of them grizzly eating of the chicken is another well directed scene yeah it's so gross even though they're just having chicken and the fact that gizmo is appalled and like refuses it yeah <laughs> and again that, the design of them put me off eating chicken yeah, it does, man. It really does. But again, whoever it was that designed the pupil stage and the cocoon, because it is so suitably like disgusting and gross. Yeah. Inside, it's, it's going through changes. Wow, like my mother. Yeah. yeah. No, no, not quite. <laughs> uh, 
I love that the, um, again, this is a directorial touch. As they're zooming into the gremlin hatching, you can hear the heartbeat on the school video that's talking about like animal hearts or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've kind of mentioned other bits about the, you know, they've kept it PG, but Mr. Hansen's death would have been a bit grisly. Slow to reveal the, uh, you know, the creatures at first. The full-on horror scene when uh, Stripe, I think it is, jumps in to give birth in the pool and the pool starts bubbling and boiling and smoke appears and it's kind of like, oh, oh no. <laughs> Um, my one criticism is the shot of after that when they all leave the YMCA when they've all been born and there's dozens of them walking is such a blatant, really not particularly <laughs> convincing effect. And it's the only one in the movie because it just looks like, oof, it's more than we could manage in 1984, huh? <laughs> just, oh, you mean yeah. like the uh, the stop motion animation? Yeah, it's the only time it cuts to that kind of thing. And it's I actually because find there that is, yeah. charming. I just, yeah, to me, it just threw me out of it. I, I think I'd have cut that because it's the only time they don't look convincing. And they're so effectively done with puppetry and stuff in the rest of the movie that it just kind of undercuts it for me, even though it is like one scene. I just would have personally thought, yeah, we, we know that they're there. We know they've escaped from that point later. We don't need to see them walking away in very unconvincing stop motion. <laughs> but um, yeah, again, I just love the town-wide chaos and the way that that's well done and the horror style that, uh, that Dante puts onto that. Um, yeah. And again, I appreciate the fact that, the, you know, the reason why they have like Invasion of the Body Snatchers and references to these old Time Machine and Robbie the Robot and stuff is because this movie is aware of its B-movie roots and status. And again, that's a little yeah. way to subconsciously, if, if necessary, to tell the audience what kind of film this is going to be. Like it is, yes, it's big budget, so I'm a blockbuster, but it owes a lot to those old B-movies. Yeah, this is, you could imagine this being the kind of film Mystery Science Theatre must absolutely love. Because it's like probably one of the reasons why I love Mystery Science Theatre, because this is the kind of shit that got me into those things at an early age. I mean, this yeah. this did, you know, kick off a spate of imitators like Critters and Ghoulies oh, yeah. and stuff like that. But Hobgoblins, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They just don't yeah. come close to this. No, it's very E.T. compared to Mac and me, isn't it, really? Going back to what <laughs> yes. But, um, yeah. So I have a few notes on music and sound, but you said that you did. So I would throw it over to you. So I'm not talking all the time. What did you have to say? Well, I mean, I've got, yeah, I've got the sound design spot on the voices. Uh, I, weirdly enough, I just put that as I'm often imitated by others trying to cash in on its popularity, which we just talked about. Jerry Goldsmith, Scott, this to me is, I mean, obviously we love Goldsmith. We've referenced Goldsmith numerous times just because he's responsible for some of our favorite TV themes and, you know, movie themes associated with that TV show. But That's I think, mainly, yeah. <laughs> yes, I do think this is one of his, this, I mean, as I said, I, I mean, I, I adore the soundtrack for Twilight Zone, the movie, which is a Goldsmith. And in the Joe Dante, It's a Wonderful Life section, you can see kind of like a, a pupil stage, as it were, to stay on brand with regards to his Gremlin soundtrack. And if you, I mean, if you listen to it, you do recognize a lot of the Gremlins motifs in there. But I think with this one, he just hit his peak. I love the soundtrack for this. It switches between really mystical and magical and then instantly goes into creepy. It's spot on in relation to scenes where it has where it takes the main gremlins theme, slows it down and just hits a few notes with it on the really creepy scenes, such as the uh, the hatch cocoons. I just think mm. it's sublime. Yeah. And uh, I mean, sticking on the brand of the sound sticking on the soundtrack, Darling Loves Christmas Baby that opens the movie. It is the song because of this movie that i associate with christmas 
It's <laughs> all other Christmas songs simply because of this movie. I always associate that song whenever I hear it on the radio, which is surprisingly more often than you'd think in Spain. And uh, whenever I hear it <laughs> on the radio, it, it instantly reminds me of this movie. And the feeling that it gives me when I hear it, because it just instantly reminds me of that town in the, that sorry, that scene in the town square at the start and all the goings on leading up to Christmas, the snow, it just, it, it to me the the soundtrack the sound design on this it is Christmas. Fair enough, that's cool. Um, I should clarify by the way that Twilight Zone thing is called "It's a Good Life," not "It's a Wonderful oh, it's a Life." life. It's a Sorry, very oh, different God, yeah. movie. Yes. Twice you've called it "It's a Wonderful Life," very different. We are, we, we are <laughs> talking Christmas films here, so you'll have to forgive exactly, me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's fair enough. But if I don't correct you, somebody in the comments will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, yeah, if, it, um, if it encourages participation, I'm all for it. Very true, very true. Any other notes on the sort of music and sound in general? No, that's everything, just that it's just mm, 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 chef's kiss. Okay, okay. Uh, well, I have a few. First of all, it's amazing how iconic instantly and sort of stupidly catchy the main theme of this is. Like, as I've mentioned, I've probably only seen this film maybe three or four times in my life. And yet, as I was grabbing the sort of disc to put in and watch, I was humming that like, because <laughs> it just it embeds itself right in there the first time you watch it. And it's just, you know it. And very few things have that like instant recognition factor, but it's so good. And like we you said, it's so multi-purpose because yeah. it's like, it's the whimsical tone of the movie when it starts and kind of like, ooh, Christmas movie, a little bit fun, a little bit quirky. And then it plays really loudly as they're attacking uh, Murray Futterman and his wife. And you're like, all of a sudden, this exact same thing is like sinister, carnage, we're having our own way kind of thing. And it's yeah. like, this is so I, good. As <laughs> a little aside with regard to, what, to your experiences, I went in the kitchen, I think it was last night, and I'm just getting myself a cup of hot chocolate. And all of it, it's, and the song's playing constantly in my head, especially since watching it recently. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I yeah. start going, bow, 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 bow. And I look around, <laughs> and everybody in the kitchen is looking at me as if I've just committed some huge social faux pas. And, and I just, is... it's Steve from Gremlins. I just walked out again. <laughs> this is where I'm lucky that I live alone. Because again, even <laughs> as I was putting, having seen it only like a couple of times before, even as I was putting the disc in to watch, I was like, take care because you might just have a gremlin. <laughs> do, 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 do. I was like, I'm not even watching the dark film yet. <laughs> it's already embedded itself in my brain. <laughs> yeah. um, awesome. I love the, uh, the whimsical music in the shop scene. As you said, that's kind of Jerry Goldsmith doing mystical and uh, magical. Um, the, the use of carols. I think reinforces the Christmasness of it all. The fact that they play like Silent Night as they're walking home, or um, the, the sheer tonal dissonance of when everything's kicking off, and then that song that goes, "Do you see what I see?" Yeah. Just my, loudly playing over the thing. It's my like, parents wow. have a Best of Johnny Mathis CD, and they play it every Christmas, and I cannot hear that bloody song. That again, I cannot hear that song <laughs> without thinking of this movie. Oh, I fully get you. Yeah, I, I would be the same. My mother loves Johnny Mathis, but she's more of a when a child is born fan. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I just love all that. And then, again, as if to emphasize how little you're supposed to take this seriously, I think it's at the end, but I'm not sure, when Stripe gets knocked out and there's actual, like, bird-tweeting knockouts. Oh, God, yeah. Like, it's like, on it is like watching a Looney Tunes. Yeah. Like, they are just one step away from actually putting the cartoon birds, like, circling their head. Oh, yeah, like, all right, that's kind of that's very on the nose, and again, somehow it works anyway. But uh, right, okay, yeah, 
uh, we've uh, been visited by the ghosts of uh, Christmas past and Christmas present with Nick and Zach, respectively. So now we are being visited by the ghost of Christmas future, which is Jenny Starr, who's here to do a quiz with us. Jenny's going to be coming on to a future episode of The Cult Show, I believe, to discuss They Live, but that's next year. So, yeah, over to you, Jenny. Merry Christmas, Hello. by the way. Hope you're having a good holiday. Merry Christmas. Uh, so far, we're not quite on holiday. I'm still working and everyday stuff right now and avoiding the holiday traffic as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. So I've got the original scores from the previous round. Uh, I'm on 12, you're on 16, and they're in the private chat for us to see. So there you okay. Go. Okay, cool. All right. So let's get started. My first question is in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, what does Indy call his sidekick giving the nod to the youngster's other 1980s film? This is a complete guess, by the way. <laughs> I'm, I, I have no idea, so I'm just going to go with the... Uh... If this turns out to be the really obvious answer, I'm going to kick myself. Okay, DK, what is your answer? I've got short round. Mike? I just guessed data, because I think he was data in the goons. Mike? <laughs> Mike, you are correct. Oh, no way, that was a good guess. When they're walking through one of the tunnels. Oh, oh my awesome. God. <laughs> <laughs> data from the goonies. And to stick with the Goonies theme a little bit here, what is the name of the vampire film that one of the Goonies, Cor Goonies Corey Feldman, appears in? Corey Feldman wow. also in Gremlins, so that's very on brand. <laughs> it is. Okay, DK, what is your answer? Uh, it's The Lost Boys. Mike? It was the Lost Boys, yeah. <laughs> yes, it was, so one for both of you. Okay, next question. This one might be a little hard. What was the real name of the baby who played Toby in the labyrinth? Oh, I know this because I've seen him since. Oh. <laughs> Do you know, I, it, this is a complete guess. <laughs> I'm, this, I'm, is I'm, this is so annoying because I, he worked on the Netflix series and he's in all the documentaries and stuff, and I cannot, despite that. <laughs> no, no, I can't. I just can't. I'm just going to have a complete guess. Yeah, see, okay. I, mean, I'm, I know it. I know this is wrong, but what the heck? Um. <laughs> I'm going to kick myself when <laughs> you tell me the answer. Okay, DK, what is your answer? I've put Roland. Mike? <laughs> it's Brian Henson. I do know it's the, the child that <laughs> worked on the production. <laughs> well, Mike, you at least have the right family area looking at. It was Toby Froud. Froud, of course Toby's it was. actual name was uh... Toby. Brian Froud's son. Yeah, but he, he didn't get a point for that though, right? No. 
nobody gets a point for that. Uh, the next question is related. What other Jim Henson movie did Toby's parents meet in while making that movie? You'll have to forgive DK, the time. What is your answer? Uh, I've got Dark Crystal. Mike? Yes, this was the Netflix series I was referring to, sorry. The Dark Crystal. Fantastic. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, the mom was a puppeteer and puppet maker, and the dad, Brian Froud, was one of the concept artists and co-creators. Nice. Yeah, I figured you guys would probably get that one, considering Dark Crystal is kind of like the major Brian, uh, Jim Henson film for that. the 80s. Yeah, that, that and Labyrinth are the only two that I know with associated with Jim Henson, other than the Muppets, so... <laughs> Uh, isn't the other one, there's one them. that's like Monster Maker or something like that from the 80s? I do not I can't know. remember what it's called. But there's another one where a kid starts going and making animatronics and stuff, and then he makes a giant one that kind of comes to life on its own or something like that. I must have completely lost me by that one. Yeah, I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, I haven't no, seen it since my, I was uh... a kid, so I always have trouble finding it, and then I forget about it before I can watch it again. Oh, no. I will take this opportunity to plug so, it and say if you haven't seen Dark Crystal Age of Resistance on Netflix, immediately do so. It's amazing. I will second that. <laughs> it is very good. I'm very sad they cancelled it. Yeah, same. It should not be. <sighs> Netflix. <laughs> you, know, you just have to go and get the comic books. Yeah, yeah. I do too. Yeah. Heard good things. So my next question. How many live-action Highlander films are there? Are we including straight to video here? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Probably, yes. <laughs> I think. I am just saying live action, yeah. so. I'm going with. I've got a feeling there's. I'm either within one or bang on. DK, what is your answer? I'm taking a stab at six. And Mike? There's either five or six, depending on what we count, but I'm, I went with yeah. six. It is five. Oh, God. Films. There was one anime. Okay, next question. Might be a bit obscure. It's one of my, my sister's favorites from the 80s. In Flight of the Navigator, what does the service robot's name, Ralph, R-A-L-F, stand for? <laughs> okay, I saw this movie once when i was a child and i have absolutely no idea yeah i'm just gonna make up a really you know feasible sound <laughs> if this turns out to be right i will be just incredulous that i hate on this somehow <laughs> good luck it is robotic assistant Labor, what was the last word? Facilitator. Wow, I literally got no of none of yeah. those. Yeah, <laughs> equally as clueless. <laughs> so zero point for that. For I appreciate you not so coming to ask you. us what we had for hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's for the best. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the next one. You two better both have this rapid fire. 
finish the quote. Hello, my name is. Police is one of my favorite movies <laughs> ever. I reviewed it last year. The correct answer is, of course, Tika Tika Slim Shady. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, DK, what is your answer? Uh, I'm not going to do the impression because I'll leave that to Mike. Uh, Inigo yeah, Montoya, geez. you killed my father, prepare to die. And Mike. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and this one will pretty much be a well a gimme on that one too. What movie is this from? Come on. One of the greatest movies ever made. Okay, well I guess that's a point to each of you. Oh sh should we yeah, should we yeah, I was going to say, should Actually, we read it so out? But if they don't get what we're talking about now, I think there's something. Suffice to say, we both already knew the princess bride. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see here. The next question is In Back to the Future movie, movies actually. They used a popular tourist location in Pasadena, California to film Doc Brown's house. What was the name of the house they filmed in? Oh, God. I knew this at one point. Congratulations. You may have found the only Back to the Future question. I don't bloody know. <laughs> um, only reason I know is because my museum tours class took us there. God, you live in a cool area. <laughs> Expensive area, you mean. <laughs> day trip to LA, day trip to San San Francisco, whatever you want to do, but at the same time, everything's super expensive here in comparison to elsewhere in the world. I can't even afford to have my own apartment. Oh, God. This no is a guess because it kind of yeah. rings a bell, but I'm probably completely wrong. I'm just guessing any old crap because my brain just turned into mush and I don't know this whatsoever. <laughs> I'm going... Okay, DK. Oh. What is your answer? I've got Beaker House. I'm probably just getting confused with Muppets for some reason. Me, me, me. And Mike, what's your answer? It was clearly Walt Disney's house. <laughs> <laughs> it is called the Gamble House. Oh. It is made with wood that was imported, I believe, from Africa and is completely illegal to use now. It's an absolutely gorgeous house, and I highly recommend if you're ever in Pasadena, California, to check it out. It's near the Rose Bowl. Ah. That's really heavy, Jenny. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's my next one. Who played Darkness in Legend? Oh, police. Next question. Yeah. Oh shit! What? No, it's okay. <laughs> DK, what is your? Oh, name? you actually took Bowie in an effort to get there before Mike. <laughs> Wrong move. Yeah, I know what it is too. Mike, what's your answer? It was suitably enough. The legend Tim Curry. Excellent. Well done. All right. 
here's my next question. What candy does Elliot give E.T. to draw him out? I literally just watched this at the cinema a few months ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, DK, what is your answer? I've got Reese's Pieces. And Mike? Reese's Pieces, yeah. <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> and did you know that at the time, Reese's Pieces would have had lost so much popularity that they were losing a ton of money at the company? No. And because of this partnership with the studios for this movie, it saved the candy. Oh, wow. Okay. In Heathers, where does Rhinona Ryder's character, Veronica, say she's cut out to send her SAT scores? I'm just going to have a guess. I can't possibly put any answer more embarrassing than getting Tim Curry wrong, so I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> All right, DK, what is your answer? I've put Princeton. And Mike? Uh, I went Harvard, the other one. <laughs> uh, well, uh, she says that she is cut out to send her SAT scores to San Quentin instead of Yale. <laughs> oh, I see. Hilarious. <laughs> well, this one should be easy then. What other 80s cult classic does Winona Ryder and Glenn Shaddix appear in? I'm probably going to get this wrong despite my overconfidence. Me too, but it's the only thing I can think of. All right, DK, what is your answer? I've got Beetlejuice. Here I come, baby. And Mike, what is your answer? I just watched this on 4K for Halloween. Beetlejuice. Don't say it again. Correct. Correct. Nice. They were both in Beetlejuice and Heather's. Nice. Okay. Next question. What 1980s fantasy film just made a comeback as a sequel series on Disney Plus? All right, DK, what is your answer? Uh, Willow. And Mike? It's pronounced Warwick, America, Willow. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it looks like we have Mike is in second and DK is winning. <sighs> yes, currently there's two points in it. Is this, do we, how many questions do we have left? That's it. We're done. Oh, wow. Congratulations, Merry DK. Christmas all. <laughs> ah, well, I'm, I'm kind of gutted about that, but fair enough. Congratulations, DK, with a score of 23 to my 21. You have won our festive season quizage. Thank you. But it was, but in, you know, it was a very close thing, mate. So, yes. awesome. Thanks for that, Jenny. Really appreciate yeah. you coming on today. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to the next episode, which, as I said, I believe is They Live, which will be a cult classic in next se next season, next year. Indeed. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. This is fun. Nice one. Uh, yeah, just thanks again. 
Yeah. Just before you go, what what are your impressions on Gremlins? Like it? Dislike it? It's okay. I'm not <gasps> a huge horror movie can I or kick monster it? movie. Can I person. kick it from the chat? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it's like the best movie in the world because Lord of the Rings is like my go-to in Labyrinth, so I'm a little biased there. I'm a fantasy fan. I am. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, it's okay. I, I'll watch it. It's not one of the ones that I will say, no, I won't watch that because it'll give me nightmares. Um, <laughs> I have issues with nightmares, so I can't watch some horror movies, most horror movies. So um, so you're kind of middle of the road on this one, yeah? Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for joining us today, Jenny. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next year. And in the meantime, Merry Christmas. And uh, hope you have a good holiday season. Indeed. Merry Christmas. Uh, right, yeah, thanks again to uh, to Jenny for putting up a brilliant quiz, even if I did lose it. So, And, uh, yeah, congrats again, DK, for being our seasonal winner. Yeah, I've enjoyed uh, that. Thank you to everybody that's appeared on this one, Nick, Zach, and Jenny. So, yeah. Absolutely, definitely, yes. Thanks, and uh, Merry Christmas to all three of you. So, DK, um, we just have a few things to finish off our review of Gremlins, jumping back to it. Yeah, uh, and we may as well give our favorite character moment and line. Then I'll do the audience response. Then our conclusions. Um, so we'll start off with who's your favorite character in the movie Gremlins. I had to think long and hard about this one, but I'm going to have to be honest. Think? And in the end, I'm going to say Billy. I recognized mm. a lot of myself in the character when I watched as a child, and if I'm being honest, I still do. He might be a little naive to some, but he's young mm. at heart still hopeful and wants to do the right thing and i kind of hope that uh, i imbue those elements also yeah i can understand where you're coming from because being a comic book geek you know uh, yeah. there's a relatability to billy for sure um but my favorite character surprising nobody was gizmo <laughs> um, yeah. because as i've already mentioned it's just such a great combination of performance design and puppetry but you absolutely do fall in love with the little guy and yes it is cool that he gets to be the hero in the end i think i, I appreciate all of that so yeah, I went with Gizmo. <laughs> nice. um, and so, what was your favourite moment or scene in the movie? Again, it's a tricky one. There are so many good ones in this. Uh, that is, yeah. I've got two written down, and I'm not sure which one. Right, the runner-up is the cinema scene, because I can't help but laugh at that every single time. But my favourite one, and it's happening back to what I said earlier, it's the opening more than any other movie, the initial scenes in Kingston Falls make me feel just Christmassy all over. And I and I can't ignore that feeling. So I'm gonna yeah, go with that. I can understand that. They definitely do uh they, they do have a very Christmassy feel the way that it the because don't they play that song, the Christmassy song, the snow's falling down. That is that uh darling uh, darling love uh oh okay. Can't find my baby or lost my baby or something. I had it written down and now I actually can't find my notes because technology. I understand that. Yeah, my favorite scene, completely on the opposite spectrum to that, um, it's the kitchen massacre. Again, I could have picked a lot <laughs> of scenes, but I just, I love that that's the start of like when the movie unashamedly gets to be what it's going to be and the shock factor of it at first, but then the show sort of, again, it shouldn't work. And I'm not normally a fan of like gross out stuff or ultra violence, but. I don't know, the, micro, the microwaved gremlin and everything is just so, like I said, you've got to appreciate the sheer, like, they, they went there, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, um, they didn't shy yeah. away, did they? 
Not at all, though. No. I mean, from the moment in the blender to everything. So, yeah, I picked that, but I could have easily went with anything, including the um, the bars, you know, or, or the, yeah, as you said, the, the um, cinema or anything. But I did. I picked the kitchen scene as, as the one that has the most impact for me. Yeah. Um, and so finally, what's your favourite line in the movie? Again, difficult. Unlike last week's where I couldn't find anything, this episode is just full of great dialogue. Uh, I struggled, I'll be honest. But okay. Really? I mean, yeah, I, could I, go with, I could go with Kate's uh, Christmas speech, Footman's uh, Gremlin speech. Uh, I could go with Wing's line, you know, to understand one only has to listen or, you know, you do what you do with all the nature's gifts. But I'm going to go completely left field just because it makes me snigger every time it's said where Kate says to Billy, what are they doing? And Billy replies, they're watching Snow White and they love it. That's exactly the same line I picked. Oh, seriously? <laughs> yes. Oh man. I just said it's it's Zach Gallagher's delivery of it that makes it. It's the kind it of is. deadpan comedic. They're watching Snow White, and they love it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's exactly the one that I went for oh, as fantastic. well. I think that's quite up for a Christmas one. Yeah, completely <laughs> uh, in unison. But, um, awesome. That's cool. So um, I'm going to go over to the audience response section then. Um, excuse me, because I did put out on our Discord and on Mastodon and various social medias, uh, what do you guys think of Gremlins? Um, so, let's see. Over on Discord, um, Mario Bowser 494 Jamie just says, I watched Gremlins on Saturday, funnily enough. Overall, I loved it. It's not the most deep movie ever, but it is a heck of a lot of fun with some tense moments, great music, and fantastic puppetry. Gizmo is also the cutest thing ever brought to screen. Overall, I'd give it a 9 out of 10. Also, who doesn't think it's a Christmas film? To which I replied, well, it was released to cinemas in July. And he responded, well, that's invalid. White Christmas came out in October. It's a Wonderful Life came out in January. And Miracle on 34th Street came out in May. And no one denies that they're Christmas movies. So, yeah, I think we've established yeah. by now. <laughs> Excuse me, that it definitely is. Um, our friend Toby simply says, I never watched it a lot. Okay, fair enough. We'll probably get on that, Toby. <laughs> um, Jimmy has chimed back in to see Owen oh, Die Hard also came out in July, and that's a Christmas movie. <laughs> All right. Stop it. He's already dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, George White simply responded, Gremlins 2 is better, and I directed him in the, to the Key and Field sketch about the writing. Uh, Lady Vianne uh, said, I have big thoughts. Uh, remember how I said I'm notoriously hard to scare? Well, I watched this movie with my cousins when I was three years old, and despite the fact that I loved creepy stuff, it scared the ever-living beep out of me, <laughs> which I just said incredulously, you were three years old? And she responded simply, yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, from uh, our good friend Adrienne again, uh, who says, from my husband David, this is the greatest PG-rated movie of all time. He was seven when he saw it. Uh, in real life bonus, that time when you realize you do a great Mogwai impression and your friends cannot. And she also says, I loved it too, especially the mysterious store element. I'm okay. just going to point out before you go any further that Adrienne's coming on the live stream. So we're going to have to see this, Adrienne. <laughs> oh, definitely. M make a note of that because I want to see that. Yes. 100%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's going in the book. Yeah, definitely. Um, I responded to Adrienne uh, talking about her husband's uh, responding to it, saying it's the greatest PG-rated movie. I said, I've checked, and my UK copy is definitely rated 15. 
I don't know how it's ever been PG anywhere. Uh, and Jamie chimed in with what you'd already said. It was so intense, it practically created the PG-13 rating alongside films like Temple of Doom, for example. Um, and then she says, Willie, um, her podcast friend from Blood and Ashes, said he recently watched Gremlins. It's definitely a Christmas movie and that it's great. He actually said, it's fantastic still. Uh, and Lady Vian, just to clarify, said, I love it now. So <laughs> there we go. Um, bear with me because I'm going to check some other things. That's it, actually. So that's <laughs> that's literally all we had was from the Discord. Nobody on Facebook or either of the Mastodon pages has responded. Come on, people. I know it's that time of year, but pull your finger out. Come on, people. Gremlins, it's a good movie. We should all yeah. be talking about it. So, uh, yeah, with that out of the way, uh, all that's left to do is to give our conclusion and our score out of five Christmas stars. <laughs> so, Ooh, very festive. Very festive indeed. Do so, you want to go first, um, dude? Yeah, I'll go first. I said, a, a film that truly captures lightning in a bottle, as I said, the perfect melding of tones and meshing of genres that on paper probably shouldn't work, yet somehow absolutely does. Maybe it's the skillful direction, the perfectly pitched performances, the amazing practical effects, the evocative music, or heck, maybe it's all of these things. The Christmas setting is actually inspired, reinforcing the cheeky and less serious part of the overall tone to offset the horror. There are definitely creepy moments, lots of gross stuff, and a lot of tropes and style of horror, and yet the film uses this almost to emphasize its tongue being firmly in its cheek, the deadpan straight man that heightens the comedy. It's surprisingly festive, lots of fun, Bad people get punished and good people save the day. It's a big budget mainstream B movie with the charm and whimsy of the best of them. Okay, it's not especially deep, it's schlocky, and it's as realistic as a Looney Tunes cartoon, but it's perfectly structured, it plays beautifully during the festive season, and despite its subject matter, it's just a delightful and thoroughly enjoyable gem. There's a reason it spawned multiple inferior imitations and a belated batshit sequel. And I gave it four stars out of five. So... Over to you, DK. Yeah, uh, well, this one, I think it's the shortest conclusion I've ever done. I just <laughs> say, I love this movie. I fell in love with it on first viewing, and it was one of the first movies I bought on home media, <clears throat> Betamax, and I still love it to this day. Writing and directing are spot on. It blends horror and comedy like no other. It fully embraces its B-movie roots. The performances are great, with the cast making Kingston Falls a very real place, despite the absurdity of events taking place. Certain movies, make uh, they feel like home to me, and Gremlins is one of those movies. More than that, it embodies Christmas to me in a way most holiday-themed films don't. I'm not sure if that says anything about me personally, but, you know, regardless. I adore it. It's a classic to many of us kids of the 80s, and it always will be, and it probably won't surprise you that I... Bugger it. I'm going to give it five out of five. Well, I, I have no surprise. And again, <laughs> that, makes it, uh, that makes it quite easy for me to work out the average. It's our first two-person one for a while. And so the final podcast score for Gremlins would obviously be 4.5 out of five. Merry yep. Christmas, Kingston Force. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's a very good final score, 4.5. We can't really... Uh... Can't argue with that. No, but yeah, all that remains to do then after that is to say we hope you have a safe and pleasant Christmas or whichever holiday you celebrate this time of year. Um, this is our last recorded episode for the year of the Silver Screen podcast, but we will be back on Thursday, the 29th of December, 
uh, DK, do you want to tell the people? We've already done it a few times, but why not tell the people yet again what we're doing on that? Yeah, by now, uh, by the time this goes out, the competition should be in full swing. So if you're wanting to win one of Mike's goodie packs, please uh, enter the competition. All you've got to do is kind of like and subscribe, and you could be with a chance of winning some Marvel or DC movies. Now, we're going to be revealing the winners of that competition in a big giveaway on the live stream, which is due to take place on the 29th. It's going to be our first live stream. Uh, why I came up with the idea, I have no idea, but I thought it'd be fun. But I'm imagining that if you think Gremlins is chaotic, wait until the 29th. Indeed. And it's basically going to be a review of 2022 by us at the Silver Screen Podcast and a whole bunch of our friends, hopefully. Um, so we will be talking about the best <laughs> movies predominantly, but also the best TV, music, anything else that comes up. And basically, it's just an excuse for us to say out 2022 and uh, have a few drinks. Effectively. Yeah, it's, so, it's, the, it's the Silver Screen Podcast Christmas party and you're invited. Who wouldn't exactly. want to take that one? So uh, if you do want to uh, be part of it, there is still time to get in touch and uh, either ask us to be on or send us clips of your sort of highlights of the year. Um, if not, you can also, uh, obviously, uh, we'll be live streaming, so you can join us in the live chat or watch us live at the time. We will be going live from, I believe, 6 p.m. UK time on the 29th, which is a Thursday, our usual broadcast day. And, uh, yeah, other than that, we hope to see you there. So uh, yeah. until that point as i said have a very merry christmas have a happy holidays everybody and uh dk did you want to give a message as well yeah just to say have a very safe healthy happy holiday season with your family and however you celebrate it i hope you have a great time and yeah all the best for the new year we will be back to see you for our live special for our last episode of the year and uh, in the meantime remember in the epic words of arnie we'll be back i'll be back yeah, yeah. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> bye, Billy. <laughs> oh. You have been listening to the Silver Screen Podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Behind-the-scenes sections and additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash Timeless Journey. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Silver Screen Podcast or look for the Silver Screen Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen, Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast Production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.